Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Hawkeye fans, Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register, along with Tyler Tashman of the Des Moines Register. We are live, our usual Tuesday podcast. Normally we go at 4.30 today. Uh, Tyler was kind enough to push this up to 4 o'clock because I got to get out of here at 4.25. So this will be a quicker pod than normal by about five minutes. So let's get right to it. So we're cutting our usual topics from three to two, but they're two meaty topics. So first, Tyler, let's start off with, um, you know, today obviously was was press conference day in Iowa City, uh, much anticipated, I think, in some ways, just to see kind of uh, the mood of the team, what Kirk Ferentz had to say, what Cade McNamara had to say after the 31 nothing loss uh, to Penn State had processed. Uh, certainly a lot of uh, angst about the offense, understandably. I wrote about that extensively. We'll get to that in segment two. But first off, why don't you uh, welcome and uh, give us a little uh, recap of kind of what, in general, what you felt like you heard today from the Iowa camp. First, I'll say I, I had to really move around the uh, my plans of not doing anything the rest of the day <laughs> to uh, fit this in. So, um, <laughs> uh, no, but uh, no, I think obviously there's a lot of frustration on the outside, and I think that Iowa is aware of that. And but pretty much, you know, if I had to kind of take down exactly what was said today, it was basically that the season isn't over, it's one loss, and they can't let I think Nick Jackson put it really well that they can't let last week's loss lead to a loss this week like you I don't think anyone on I was basically saying because they lost to Penn State the season's over like no one is by any stretch of the imagination uh waving the white flag uh I, I think that there's a sense that things do need to get better and uh especially around the offense um there needs to be improvement um because what was done against Penn State uh, frankly, wasn't acceptable if Iowa wants to get, you know, where it wants to be. But at the same time, Iowa's still three and one. Um, there's still a lot of opportunities left. It's, there's still there's still time left. So I don't think as much as kind of the alarm bells feel like they're sounding, um, there's still a lot of season left to play. That was certainly, <clears throat> excuse me, the message from players sounded like, uh, Cade McNamara delivered a fiery speech or, or impactful speech, maybe after the game, be a better way to put it. Uh, you know, leadership seems like it's in a good place. Uh, the question is, and which I kind of raised in my post game column, and it was after our post game podcast, so I wrote that after that. You know, I needed that two hour rainy drive, you know, from State College to Harrisburg to kind of formulate my my thoughts. But um, uh, man, that was a miserable drive, by the way. So much rain, so much rain in Pennsylvania. Come on. Like even getting on the plane, like the water was coming into the jet bridge. No, it was just I, know. Crazy. I don't think we, I don't think, I mean, it was fitting that we basically didn't see sun the entire time. <laughs> yeah. It was like basically rain and wind. So yeah, a 60 hour, I think 60 hours, plus, 62 hours. I, I measured it from when I woke up to when I got home and saw no points. So anyway, 
uh, where was I going with this? Oh, the column was just sort of like, ah, this program has really not been good really since the 2021 win against Penn state. I mean, 15 and 10 record. That's fine. That's decent. That's about maybe a slightly below average for Ference, um standards, but the losses have been so bad, you know, uh, 225 to 54 combined margin in seven of those losses, uh, five, Oh, and five to rank teams. You know, you think about 42 to three to Michigan, 54, 10 to Ohio state, 31, nothing to Penn state. It doesn't get much more lopsided than that in terms of the East division powers. And then you're losing, you know, to Purdue and Wisconsin in 21, you lose to Iowa state at home, Last year, you lose to Nebraska at home last year. So it just doesn't feel good. And that's why it's it feels different um, um, about, I don't know, just sort of this week. It's like, okay, you're saying the right things, but we've got two years of evidence. And that's kind of where this week is so important, right, Tyler? I mean, uh, you know, at least to you got to see that this team has a lot of fight into it. This team has a little bit of offense to it. And it, no, it's not. It doesn't make a statement, but you got to see something this week. And I feel like the players, Nico Ragagini said that. Uh, he's like, basically, we're going to find out what kind of team we are after that butt kicking. We're going to find out this week. And we'll know after Saturday what kind of team we are. So I, I think that's where this week is framed for me, is there's a lot pinned on this Saturday to bounce back. I think the the thing about the Penn State game was that the odds were already against Iowa. No Jazz Patterson, no Caleb Johnson, no Luke Lachey. You're going into a really difficult atmosphere in, in the whiteout. But I think there was, you know, the the it seemed like the odds of Iowa winning were pretty slim. But I think there was an expectation that Iowa would at least go in and compete and at least make it a game. And, and that was obviously not the case. It was pretty clear that. Uh, Penn State was head and shoulders above where Iowa was. Um, and I think that, you know, not just that Iowa lost, but the way in which it happened, putting up zero points, I think that along with frustration from last season um, kind of is what compounded, you know, and, and heightened the frustration, I would say. Um, but I thought it was notable that right after the game, Cade McNamara said basically that this performance didn't, exemplify the offense we are the defense we are the special teams we are and right now I mean th those were strong words right now the only evidence we have against a Big Ten team is what happened against Penn State so maybe what he says turns out to be true we kind of have to get more evidence on that you know it, I feel like actions speak louder than words so what we see on the field is kind of a better represent representation of what we're hearing and, and it kind of reminded me of um, actually when Iowa beat Indiana to open the 2021 season. And I know the parallels between Iowa and Indiana football, there's, uh, you know, obvious discrepancies, but um, after Indiana lost that game, one of their players was like, I know this Indiana team is like, this is a good football team. We believe we're, you know, this is a good team. They went on and, and won two more games the rest of the season. So um that's why I'm I'm a little hesitant to read into too much what he says. I think it was notable that he still has belief in the team, but I think we need to see it happen on the field more so than hear about it. I'm glad you brought that up because we talked about that on the drive too, and uh, that is important perspective. That's a really good perspective. Indiana went two and ten that year. They were preseason uh, number seventeen, something like that, right? And uh, you know Iowa took it to them, and they didn't really bounce back ever. So. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens with this Iowa team. Uh, Cade McNamara, here's one direct quote from him today. 
He said, the season's not over yet. We're continually evaluating every single week. This isn't even close to the finished product. So, uh, again, take it for what it's worth. Uh, Kirk Ferentz is, <clears throat> I guess we'll get to more of Kurt, what Kirk said in a little bit. But one of his answers regarding the offense, and I know I'm kind of spilling into our second segment a little bit here, but was basically, you know, the excuse that McNamara missed so much time and that if he had had those eight or nine weeks of spring ball and the, you know, not having the quad injury, I mean, that that would have helped a lot, but they didn't. So, I mean, it's, that's foot, that's football, as he says, right? I mean, it's so, uh, but that's kind of where how he's explaining it away a little bit, the struggles. He thinks it's going to be better too. Um, a lot to get into. I know I'm getting into the offense right now, but anything else today? Uh, I guess let's let's hit a few little other bullet points. No Caleb Johnson this week. No Jazzy and Patterson this week. Uh, Cade McNamara did say he is closer to 100, uh, percent so that's good. Uh, he goes, I'm a, I'm getting a lot closer to being able to run 100. percent I think all my pocket movement is at 100. percent It's just a it's just more of when I open it up, like on that 18 yard scramble, which was I was second longest play of the day on Saturday. Uh, uh, before we get to wide receivers and offense, because I know that's the meat of this conversation, uh, anything else you learned today from Hawkeye players, from Kirk Ferentz that stood out, other than he uh, his artificial intelligence comments, which were actually quite amusing? Uh, we are going to get Phil Parker tomorrow, just so our listeners and viewers know. So we'll have a little bit more, uh, I guess, recap off of the defense maybe on tomorrow night's radio show. So anything more you heard today, Tyler, that uh, stands out? No, I think that, you know, among the things that Iowa needs to deal with and I guess just be cognizant of is they they can't let the external uh, toxicity and negativity get within the team. Um, because of the, the way that we live now as a society – um, it's so easy. It's so accessible for guys to see things on social media. Um, and, and this isn't like to paint like a, you know, a, a picture of like a woe is them, woe is me type thing. But it's out there and it's a variable that you have to take into account that you can't let that negativity seep into the team. It, it, it feels like um, Iowa has not has not let that happen at all. And their outlook and attitude is is very positive um, despite, you know, Saturday that, that they, they know they still have a lot of season ahead of them. But I think part of the dynamic of the world now is not letting those outside factors kind of get inside the team. Um, on top of that, uh, I feel like we need to see a pretty demonstrative statement against Michigan State. This is a Michigan State team that isn't very good. Um, coming off the loss to Penn State, I just feel like Iowa kind of needs to take all, out all of that frustration against Michigan State, win by 20 or more, you know, to me, what, you know, maybe 17 or more, I say. But it it feels like this, you know, if Iowa barely squeaks by, you know, it, it feels like it, the, the, the ship continues to kind of sink. If they're able to put together a good performance, it doesn't by any stretch solve all their problems or get even close to that. But it does feel like they're able to kind of get the get the ship going in the right direction. Yeah, and you guys all know I'm a Bears fan. And so <laughs> it's like, so the Bears absolutely got lost by exactly 31 points with no offense. 
to a really good team, Kansas City, the other day. So my life is uh, filled with terrible offense. But uh, what I will say is, you know, some Bears fans I'm listening to say the same thing. Like, oh, this is, you know, they're playing uh, Denver this week who just gave up 70 points, right? Well, the, the on the flip side, Tyler, Michigan State's looking at Iowa like, hey, here's our chance to bounce back now. This team sucks on offense. I and same with Denver against the Bears. Like, uh, this is their chance too. Like, it you it may look like an easier part of the schedule, but they're looking at you like that's the easier part of the schedule. So it's no guarantee I was going to win this week at all. Uh, open as a six and a half point favorite. It's mushroomed to eleven and a half. So certainly, public sentiment thinks I was going to bounce back, but uh, Vegas is early line a six and a half. So it's it's not like this is a, a sure thing. So uh, let's get into. Topic two, which is the offense. Tough questions for Kirk Ferentz. I see someone wants to give me an apology for something. I don't even know what that's for. Um, uh, uh, he said, "I, I uh, South Bend Hawkeye says, I owe Chad Ellen an apology for going after him about not asking hard questions on the last pod you guys did. Chad, I apologize. Apology accepted. I didn't take offense to it. I understand that's part of the territory. Thank you for listening to us. Uh, let's talk about receiver targets because that was that ended up I like wrote about it this morning and all of a sudden that was the theme of the press conference. Um, I'm not saying everyone read that and started asking. I think it was just an obvious topic, right? Uh, 14 wide receiver catches through four games, Tyler. There are, I'll have to call my article, I believe 173 FBS receivers individually with more than 14 receptions this year. This is the whole wide receiver core for the Hawkeyes. Uh, I was, uh, I don't want to get, into every detail of my article because I really want you guys to read it. It was pretty thorough statistical analysis, and I did get some help with it from the outside. Uh, 37% of Iowa's passes are targeted to wide receivers. That is the lowest in the nation, with the next lowest being 54% by Navy, a service academy team that I think still runs the triple option, and San Diego State, which is known for bad offense. So, and that's like way below them <laughs> and it's way below even last year for Iowa. So the questions today was how do you, with Luke Lachey out, you have to get the wide receivers involved. How in 2023 are you not even making it a priority to throw to these guys? And I thought maybe the most telling quote of all was from Cade McNamara because uh, Scott Darchman asked him about it, the receivers. And he basically said, you know, he's running the play. What does he say? I'm just a quarterback. I'm not calling the plays or any of that. That's not my decision. I'm just going to run the play as fit, and I'm going to throw it to the open guy. So that's what Brian Ferentz is calling. I'm throwing it to who he tells me to throw it to, basically, which are the tight ends. <laughs> and that doesn't make any sense in 2023. It really doesn't. And I think it's unfortunate because Seth Anderson has shown kind of so many in a in a limited time period he's shown so many flashes of what he can do and I think it's unfortunate that he hasn't been able to get the ball in his hands more uh that a healthy Deontay Vines hasn't been able to get his uh hands in the ball his ball the ball in his hands more or Nico Ragini or there really hasn't been much opportunity for Caleb Brown to even show what he can do um I I think Kirk Ferentz said today he said and I want to dive into this a little bit he said the only stat that matters is winning, right? So I think, look, if Iowa wins and the receivers aren't getting uh, a lot of looks, then look, 
I think you live with it because if I was winning, that's the number one most important thing. But if, if, if your number one goal is to win and that doesn't happen and you look at the receiver's output and what the, the chances that they're given, then I think you might need to rethink that as, hey, we need to start getting the, the ball into those guys' hands more. We need to find you know ways to, to, get, uh, to get playmakers in space. And um, I, I also look at it from the sense of how do you even try to recruit wide receivers moving forward if they're getting so many limited uh, looks? Like I, yeah, and I, you know, I don't want to speculate because obviously it's still early, and I, I don't want to speculate on anybody leaving. But it's just like it feels like if I was a wide receiver, it, it would be hard to kind of wrap my mind around coming to Iowa because it's almost like kind of a wide receiver in a triple option type scheme where you're just not getting a lot of looks. And obviously it's different than that, but I think there has to be in terms of building in the future, there has to be something you can show wide receivers to, to make Iowa a a destination that's appealing. Cause otherwise I just think, it kind of cannibalizes itself, right? If you're not getting the ball to wide receivers, wide receivers don't want to come to Iowa. And then you, you're left with a depleted wide receiver pool because you didn't throw to them and now you have no one to throw to. So it's kind of just like an endless cycle uh, that can kind of cause some issues. Yeah. And in 2019, Iowa tied a program record for wide receiver catches. <laughs> they had the four top receivers were wide receivers. It was uh, Nico Ragini actually had the most catches, 46. Emir Smith Marset, 44. Then it was Tyrone Tracy and Brandon Smith. They all Smith was hurt that year, if you guys recall. So uh, all four of those guys had uh, huge contributions that season. Iowa was 10 and three and ran USC off the field in the Holiday Bowl with wide receivers. So Brian Ferentz has shown he can do that, and I'm not. I feel like the talent in the receiver room is better than it was a year ago for sure. Um, now they do need to upgrade it. And I think NIL helps with that, but you've got guys, they're just choosing not to throw it. And that's why someone in the chat, uh, it already disappeared off my screen, but uh, had asked if, did you think it was notable that, that Cade said what he said? Oh, uh, there it is. Um, you know, did you, th- Brandon Walker said, did you think it was notable that Cade McNamara said he just does what Brian says essentially, you know, blaming BF and yeah, I did. He did not. Um, I don't think his intent was to like throw Brian under the bus, but he, I also think he didn't want to like say it was his fault because let's be honest, he didn't have a chance to throw much at Penn state and he did, wasn't even out there that much Four play. He, he was on the field for four plays in the second half. <laughs> That's just wild. Um, and I think the the targets are going to the tight ends. You saw in the scripted plays, most of those were going to Eric All. That that screen that All tripped on. Uh, there was a middle, a couple middle screens to the tight ends. You know, the first completion to All was was twenty yards. That was a good one. The shovel pass to All. The ball is going to the tight ends. It's designed to go to the tight ends. And and my point is, if you're not going to try to throw the wide receivers, and you know, what about slant? I mean, just anything anything to get the ball in these playmakers hands the best way to increase production is to get big plays and this is i'll pull out one other stat for my story and get your reaction tyler 
and this is incredible. This is maybe the most incredible stat in that whole story. And there are a lot of stats in that story, a uh, ton. Uh, so it was objective. It was analytical. It tells a story and coaches need to reassess what they're doing because they have two passing plays to a wide receiver of more than 30 yards in the last 21 games, 30 plus yards to a wide receiver twice in the last 21 games Two, one of them, you know, which one it was because it was the first pass of the season to Seth Anderson, 36 yards when the cornerback fell down. The other one was a 46-yarder from Spencer Petras to Nico Ragaini uh, against Nevada. So these aren't neither one of those were even against a Big Ten team. So uh, that's troublesome. That's why you're not moving. That's why you're not getting yardage. That's why you're not getting points. You got to find ways to get the ball to the wide receivers, and it just seems like this offense is not designed to do that or something. Where because obviously you're not even targeting them. Yeah, one, I think the narrative might have changed a little bit if, like, there's one pass play that comes to mind against Iowa State where Seth Anderson got a lot of separation. It would have been a really long touchdown pass. Cade McNamara just didn't connect with him. I, You know, he may have kind of overthrown him a little bit. But I think the narrative changes is, like, if Iowa hit on that, if, you know, maybe there was a couple other times that Iowa would, you know, that one to – Nico Ragaini in the Utah State game. I know that probably would have been a tough catch for him, but I think the narrative might be different it, it, if Iowa was just – it felt like they're just a little off. Um, and I don't think that can deter them from trying. I think they need to continue to try that. I think they need to at least put themselves in position to try to do that because otherwise you just get teams that are going to stack the box against them. And Iowa's offensive line uh, isn't good enough right now to, to move uh, – you know, if they're outnumbered to move the box. Um, and I think that the, the wide receiver question also kind of comes to the fundamental idea of is Iowa's offensive line good enough because are they giving Cade McNamara enough time uh, to survey the field and let guys get down the field and, and you know, make their uh, routes and cuts and everything? Because against Penn State, I don't, the, the answer was no. There was, you know, I don't fault too much. Cade McNamara for what happened to Iowa's offense there. I, I don't really know how much more he could have done. A lot of it kind of felt like it was out of his hands. He just didn't, didn't have a lot of time back there in the, in the first two games of the season. Uh, I thought Iowa's offensive line protection was really good. Um, it feels like the last two games, it's kind of taken a step back. And, and I understand that Penn state's defense is good, but you got to at least give your quarterback a chance. You know, you got to at least, let him go through his progressions and, and add on to this, the fact that Cade has been dealing with that injury and, you know, probably isn't as mobile as he would like. So all those factors kind of weave together is, you know, maybe I think, and I've said it before that the offensive line kind of might, is not all because the, the wide receiver, lack of wide receiver production isn't based on one thing, but I think the offensive lines, you know, underwhelming performances, especially the last two games, kind of might be a factor in that. Uh, I got to go in a couple minutes here. So a uh, couple final thoughts. Uh, Michigan State gave up 536 yards passing to Michael Penix Jr. 
and Washington, a totally different he's offense. A, he's a dog, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, no. He, he's but a still. front runner for the Heisman. But 536 yards passing, 13.7 yards per pass two weeks ago. And then they lost 31-9 at home to Maryland. So this is a good chance for Iowa to get their receivers involved. It's sort of like – I view it as sort of like when – and you weren't here for this in 2018, when the Noah Fant conversation mushroomed, where he was off the field and not getting the ball when he had an obvious first-round NFL tight end. And the week after this all happened, Iowa had Noah Fant on the field for 24 of the first 25 plays at Illinois, and they won 63 to nothing. (laughs) So Iowa did make a correction that week after hearing the outside noise. I'm not saying that this outside noise will reverberate the same. But you've got to I, – I expect to see a commitment to getting more targets to your playmakers, your guys who have ability to make plays. Caleb Brown, no catches this year. Seth Anderson, four catches, right? Four catches this year. Um, Deontay Vines, four catches for like 28 yards this year. Nico has six. Those are your 14. That's it. <laughs> It's just crazy. And so uh, you've got to get it done. That's that's the only way you're going to move this offense is if you get your receivers involved. And it's just not going to work with Steve Stilianos and Addison Estrangla and Eric All. That's just not going to work. You've got to get – if you want to move this team, you've got to get to your get the ball to your receivers. And, uh, you know, part of that's on McNamara too, but I think, it ha- I think it's a scheme thing. And uh, I got to go, so I'll give you the last word. No, I just – I don't think, you know, this isn't a knock on Eric All and the other tight ends. I think they've done a good job. I, You know, they're capable pieces. I think that just Iowa needs to be more selective of when they use what. You know, I, I look at the way that teams were able to use, like, Jimmy Graham, Rob Gronkowski in the red zone and really use them as weapons to punch the ball in the end zone. And – I feel like that's where Eric All and Steve Stilianos and Addison Australia can be really effective. I just think Iowa needs to spread the wealth a little bit more uh, in terms of getting it to the wide receivers, getting the guys that can make plays in space. Just um, it doesn't have to be, you know, it can be simple stuff. Um, but part of what it's felt like Iowa's lacked is just that dynamic element, and and part of it is because they just haven't even put themselves in position to have that dynamic element because they haven't gotten those guys the ball. So I think you at, at the very least have to give them a chance. Yeah. You got to try. That's what, that's my point. You got to try and they're not trying. So uh, we'll see if they try this week against uh, Michigan state, try to get to the receivers. I mean, not try to win, but um, anyway, I got to run. Thank you for the abbreviated uh, edition of, for joining us for this abbreviated edition. We always have our Hawk central radio show on Wednesday nights, KX and O six to 7 PM podcast available so check that out and of course tyler and i will be back with our post-game episode again late at night on saturday after iowa uh throws for five 400 yards and beats michigan state right <laughs> anyway for for tyler tashman this is chad lysico uh saying thank you for joining us and talk to you soon just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh human remains that are left Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. 
Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.